Good morning. Please take your Bible and turn with me in the Old Testament to the book of Malachi. It's the last of the 39 books in the Old Testament, right before the book of Matthew, which introduces the New Testament. And this morning, the text that I'm going to be teaching from is Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Malachi chapter 3, beginning with verse 8. In reading through verse 12, I'm going to read from the New American Standard Bible and invite you to read along silently in the version that you have in your hand. Malachi 3.8 says, Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, How have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse. For you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house, and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it may not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts, and all the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Last Monday, I was having breakfast with one of my close friends. We've been friends for almost 40 years now. He lives in Las Cruces, New Mexico. I was visiting with him there. And as we talked, he is a layman par excellence in the sense that we describe layman. And he challenged me. Of course, he knows I'm a pastor. I was once his pastor. And he challenged me in this way. He said, Mike, he's in his 70s now, mid-70s at least. And he said, Mike, do your church a service by teaching them how to give the way God wants them to give. I was taken aback a moment. I had not anticipated that from him. The next day, I had a conversation with one of the pastors here in the church, and unsolicited, he said, Mike, I think you need to teach on this matter of biblical giving. Well, that came from two sources, both of which are very reliable sources, and I sense the Lord was speaking to me about sharing this message with you today. Out of curiosity, I went back through all my records to see how often I have taught On the matter of giving, I have preached over 1,200 times since being the pastor of this church. That's a lot of talking. (laughs) And I'd only taught seven times on the matter of giving. This passage I'd only taught once before, way back when, in another millennium. So I thought, well, Lord, it is time I shared this message. And quite frankly... I love the message, not because it's anything I can say, but because of what it means to me personally. How God has used this in my life to develop me spiritually almost as much as any other passage in the Bible. So, having said this, the question that is raised in this passage of Scripture is this. What happens if we do not give according to God's plan? He says in this passage that we are to give tithes and offerings to 
to him. So let's ask the question, what if we do not adhere to this command of the Lord? What happens? I'm going to give you the two answers to that question, and then we're going to look at each one carefully. The first of which is, if I do not tithe to the Lord and give offerings to the Lord, then I rob God. The second statement is that if I do not do this, I cheat myself. So let's begin with the first thing. If I do not tithe and give offerings to the Lord, I rob God. Now that presupposes something, doesn't it? Could I rob you of something that did not belong to you? It's impossible, isn't it? In order to rob something, to thieve from somebody, it has to belong to them to begin with. So what does that tell us about the possessions which are ours? They're not ours, are they? They're the Lord's. In the book of Leviticus 27, verse 30, the Bible says, The tithe is the Lord's. Quite frankly, everything that you and I have is the Lord's. Why? Because if we know Jesus Christ, we have been bought with a price. And we're to glorify Him in our body. The Bible says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The Bible also says, remarkably, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, that the whole world belongs to us. How can that be? It's because we belong to Him. And because of our relationship to Him, then everything belongs to us too. But primarily, we belong to the Lord. And He owns it all. And He has loaned me and you, if you are His child, He has loaned us what we have. We are to be managers of the resources which are His, which He has put at our disposal. And the way we begin to do that is by tithing our income and giving offerings out of our possessions. So what is a tithe? Well, the word tithe in Hebrew simply means one-tenth, ten percent. God would have you and me to give a tithe to His storehouse, bring it to His house. We're going to talk about the details of that in just a moment. That's what God would have us to do. And then on top of that, give some offerings. The beginning point, I believe, in giving God's way is to tithe your money. Well, let's deal with a question that is probably in many of your minds. There's objection in some people's minds. Some of you would say, well, that's Old Testament. And we're no longer under law. We're under grace. Thank God we're under grace. That's awesome, isn't it? The Bible says in Romans 6.14, we're no longer under the law. We're under grace. We can't earn our salvation We are free in Christ, but not free to do anything we want to do. Really, we're freed up to do what He wants us to do, that which He created us for to be. And that, I believe, is tithing. The first mention of tithing in the Bible is found in the book of Genesis. It's found in the 14th chapter. It's a story of where Abraham gives a tithe to a mysterious fiction. His name is Melchizedek. He's the king of Salem. And he gives it to this priest. His identity is speculated about quite often. I'm talking about Melchizedek. We know who Abraham is. Now, let me ask you a question about Abraham. Was Abraham a man born under the law or under grace? Abraham lived 400 years before Moses. The Moses was the one who received the law. 400 years before, 
Abraham is the epitome of a man of grace. He is held up by all the references to him outside of the book of Genesis and even in the book of Genesis as being a man of great faith. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. It had nothing to do with anything which he could do. He was a man of grace. He lived in the age of grace. Quite frankly, all of history has been the age of grace. The law was introduced and for good purpose. The law's purpose in our lives today, the primary purpose, is to show us that we can't save ourselves. It exposes us as it relates to sin in our lives, and it shows that we can't do it alone. In fact, we can't save ourselves at all. We have to trust the Lord to do that. So, Abraham is the picture of grace. And he tithed long before there was any law, four centuries before to be exact, And in the New Testament, many times, people are introduced in a rather curious way in regard to Abraham. Sometimes women are called daughters of Abraham. Sometimes men are called sons of Abraham. Do you know what that really means? They were people of faith, like their father Abraham. It is a venture of faith that is called the Christian life. Following the Lord. And this matter of tithing and giving offerings is under the umbrella, not of the law, but under the umbrella of faith. One might wonder, what did Jesus think about tithing? Well, we do not have to wonder long. If you'll turn to Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, it's easy to remember this. 23, 23. Jesus is excoriating The scribes and Pharisees, he's taking them to the woodshed. He's exposing them for their hypocrisy. In verse 23 of Matthew 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. And he's not saying they're hypocrites for tithing the mint, the dill and cumin, spices. They were meticulous in their tithing of everything Remember, they were all about externals. They were all about impressing people. Tithing is not about impressing anybody. It's about obeying the Lord. And then notice how Jesus continues. This is what he was really upset with them about. And have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Don't neglect your tithing. That's what he was saying. Now think about the things that the scribes and Pharisees really got after Jesus about. They got after Him for what they thought was the breaking of the Sabbath. They got after Him for not fasting on the days that were set aside by men's traditions, I might add, to fast. They got on to Him for having the audacity to forgive people of their sins. But they never said a word about Jesus neglecting tithing. Believe me, if he had, they would have jumped on that in a hurry. Jesus tithed. If I understand correctly, Jesus says in John 13, verse 15 or 16, I can't remember exactly one. It's one of those verses that he has left an example for us, for us to follow. That's what the Word of God says. And then Peter piggybacks on that in 1 Peter chapter 2 where he says, Jesus has set an example for us that we might walk in His steps. In other words, to follow His example. 
Abraham, a man of grace, tithe, the first one we know of who tithe. Jesus, the ultimate human being, fully God, fully man, he tithe. Remember, he worked with his hands until he was 30 years of age. Believe me, he was careful to give a tithe and offerings to the Lord's work. So this matter of tithing is not something that would be isolated, relegated to the law or to the Old Testament system. It's something that transcends ages and ways in which God has dealt with mankind. So it's important to understand that when we ignore what God says about giving, we rob Him of the financial resources which He has set aside to do His work through His people. The local church is God's primary instrument for reaching the world for Jesus Christ. It's not missionaries. Missionaries, if they're worth their salt, wherever they go, they go to establish churches. And there, those churches become the tip of the spear for the advancement of the kingdom of God. And when you give to this church, if this is your church, when you give your tithes and offerings, you are giving to a worldwide enterprise of reaching the world for Jesus. Twenty-five cents of every dollar which you give to this church goes outside this local church and into the hands of people who are missionaries all over the world. You know, I cannot go probably in the rest of my lifetime to China, but do you realize there are people in China whom you are supporting financially if you give to this church? And the gospel is being spread in China. We have one of our young men, Noah Vanderswan. He just graduated high school last year. He's on a mission to China. I've seen photos of him interacting with children there and undoubtedly sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with those children. You have a hand in that. I probably will not go to India again. I have been to India on mission. I probably won't go again. But you know what is true. You and I, when we give to this church, we're preaching the gospel in India. You name the nations of the world, virtually every one of those nations has people whose lives are enabled to share the gospel because you give to that enterprise. That's why the Lord would say, bring the tithes and offerings. Look at what he says in verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Now, God doesn't have a house anymore. People might say, this is the Lord's house. Well, everything belongs to the Lord, so in effect it is. But, you know, this is just nothing until you're here. Why do I say that? Where is the temple of God located today? In Malachi's day, it was located in Jerusalem. Is there a temple in Jerusalem anymore? Not now. Someday there will be, I believe. But not now. Where is the temple of God? Wherever two or three have gathered together in my name, Jesus says, there I am in the midst of them. And we who make up the body of Christ are the church of Jesus Christ. No matter how small a body of people might be or how large, we make up the temple of God. So, when we are commanded to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in the house of God, it's talking about bringing it to your local church. I know some of you are not members of this church. This is just 
a passing phase of your life. But if you think this is your home church, then this is where you should give your tithe. A minimum of your tithe. If you're going to be obedient to the Lord and you're not going to rob the Lord. We rob God of the financial resources which He has set aside for the preaching and the gospel, the making of disciples of all nations. But also we rob God of His fidelity. We rob Him of His integrity. We rob Him of His faithfulness. God made a promise, didn't He, regarding this? He says, if you will do this, then I will do that. And if we resist to obey the Lord in any area, and in this area, which we're speaking of today, what we do, we call His trustworthiness into question, don't we? We think, well, Lord, I can't make it now on the money you have afforded me. How in the world can I carve out 10% of my income and give it to the work of the Lord? Well, this is how you do it. You sit down and you take your checkbook and by faith, you write out a check. Now, if you don't have money in your account, you can't do that. I know some churches take charge cards and we have refused to do that because we're afraid that you'll get in trouble if you use a charge card. Some of you know exactly what I mean. I've gotten in trouble with a charge card before. But the point is, you trust the Lord. It's a matter of faith. You trust Him. Now, these people to whom this was first delivered, look again in verse 8, Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And the answer is obvious in tithes and offerings. Now, there are two ways, perhaps, that this question could have been asked. The less likely one I will deal with first. Maybe it was a question of request. Just possibly there would have been people who had heard this who didn't understand what it meant when it says, you have robbed me in tithes and offerings. They didn't know what a tithe was. They may have had some idea about an offering. But let me ask you the question, and this doesn't require any verbal answer, but is it possible that you're here today and you don't understand this? You don't know this? This is news to you? It was so with my father. My father grew up one of eight children, the fifth child, sixth child actually, of eight children born to a sharecropper in West Tennessee. Fine people, love the Lord, godly people. The little church that he went to was the Corinth Baptist Church. And they didn't even have a full-time pastor. About once every three weeks, someone would come and preach. Daddy got saved when he was about 13 years old. He couldn't remember if he was 13 or 14, but he gave his life to the Lord. He said that he never got much teaching, though. It was always a gospel message, a gospel message, and there's nothing wrong with the gospel. But he was never taught the importance of studying the Word, reading the Word, learning from the Lord about how to live the Christian life. Fast forward to his late 20s. He had married my mother when he was 25. I was born when he was 26. This would have been probably when he was about 28 or 29 years of age. He and mother had joined the Cherokee Baptist Church in the little neighborhood. It was full of veterans who had come back from World War II and had bought these VA houses, and that community was just overflowing with young men and their wives, and he was a part of the church. The pastor, Mac Douglas, I remember Brother Mac, 
he was the pastor until I was about six or seven. At the time of this story, I was probably two or three. I don't remember this. But he preached on tithing. And my dad had never heard it. He preached on this passage. My dad had never heard the idea. And when mother and he got in the car, my mother told me this story. They got in the car after they picked me up from the nursery. And he turned to her and he said, Doris, we're going to start tithing. And mother said, that's good with me. And from that day forward, mother did all the check writing and paying the bills. She, every time daddy got paid, she'd write a tithe. Ten percent of whatever he made, she'd write a check for it. That year, unbeknownst to my dad, he had no inkling that this would happen. But that year, the company for whom he worked had all the drivers. He was a truck driver. I don't think I've mentioned that in this service. He was a truck driver. He hauled cars. And all the men were members of the Teamsters. He was a union man. And his union negotiated with the company, Commercial Carriers Incorporated. It was a national company. And negotiated. And my dad got a raise for the coming year that more than offset what his tithe was that year. Isn't that interesting? And you might say, he's coming out of the closet. He's a prosperity preacher. He's been preaching here 23 years. Well, let, let, me, let, me, make a, a, let me make a an observation. I am a biblical preacher. And just because some people have distorted this doctrine and made it into something that is self-centered does not mean that I should not teach you the truth of God's Word. And I don't need to teach you. All you have to do is read it. It's not rocket science, is it? It's pretty clear, isn't it? So we rob God of His fidelity. And we may ask the question, Lord, is this really what you mean? And He says, yes, it's really what I mean. But here's probably the background of most of the questioners. They were not requesting an answer to the question, question. They were protesting that God would even ask the question. And there's probably a bunch of people in here protesting in your heart for different reasons. And these people were protesting. Reminds me of a story told about a woman and her husband. The pastor had preached on this passage. And as they were leaving through the doors... To, the pastor was at the back greeting everybody, saying goodbye and all sorts of things. And the lady said, she held her little infant in her arms who had been in the church service. And she said, Pastor, please forgive me for my baby crying out in the service. She's teething. He says, oh, that's okay, sister. It's okay. I love children. Jesus loves children. Don't worry about it, sister. But I do have one question. And she said, what's that? Why was your husband crying in the service? She said, because he thinks God's telling him to tithe. He was tithing, she was teething. Right? Well, some of you may feel that. The whole idea of giving 10% of your money away. Wow. That's a big step for people. But believe me, it's the right step. And you will never regret doing it. I can say that because in my life, my dad, as I mentioned, began to tithe. And he taught me how to tithe. By his example. When I was ten years old, he gave me the responsibility of putting together 
the offerings every Sunday morning. And he gave me four $20 bills. This was in 1960. Put that in its historical perspective. 1960, $80. Now, 10 times 80 is what? 800. Daddy was driving a truck. Was he making $800 a week? I don't know. I doubt it, but he worked hard. He was up before dawn virtually every day and back after dusk virtually every day, six days a week. He worked hard. Never complained one time. I can remember never hearing my father complain about working. He loved to work because he knew he was serving the Lord and he was serving his wife and serving his family. He loved to work. And one of the reasons I know he loved it so much is because he loved to give to the Lord. He was so overjoyed. He was never happier than when he was giving to the Lord. You know that rubbed off on me? It sure did. And if you have children at home, look, you are the example God has put in their lives. What kind of example are you in this regard? Do they know that's your heart as their parent when it comes to giving? It'll make a huge difference in their lives and it will advance the kingdom of God. But the Word of God is so rich in its application and implications for our lives. I read once about a couple of men. They were co-workers. They had the same job. They were hired the same day. They made the same amount of money. They were of different religions. One was a Christian. Actually, he was a Baptist. And the other one was a descendant of Abraham. He was a practicing Jew. He went to synagogue regularly. And they talked about the differences in their faiths. And so they decided to exchange experiences on a weekend. Saturday, of course, comes before Sunday. So Saturday they found themselves at the local synagogue. An offering was being received. The Jewish man pulled his wallet out took out a $100 bill, put it in the offering. And this was observed by the Christian man. They finished the worship experience. The next day they met. They went to the Baptist church. The offering was being received. The Jewish man was watching carefully to see what his friend would give. And his friend, to his shock, pulled his wallet out and pulled a $10 bill out and put it in the offering. And then the Jewish man looked heavenward and said, Almost you persuade me to be a Baptist. You know? It's getting a little close to home probably for some of you this morning. Right. So we begrudge the very suggestion that we would give back just a little bit of what God has given us. It comes back to who owns it. More importantly, who owns you? Do you own you? Or does Jesus own you? Well, the answer is obvious. Let's go to the second emphasis. If I don't tithe and give offerings, and before I forget, let me talk about the difference between a tithe and an offering. How much is a tithe? How many percent? Ten percent, right? Easy. What about offerings? The tithe should come in to the storehouse, to your local church, the ten percent. And then, you've got extra money to give away. To give away to different causes. Even in our church, we have special offerings. Compassion offering, missions offerings, 
We're going to have an opportunity at our missions banquet to give money to help kids and others go on missions. Awesome. It's terrific. And then we see brothers and sisters in need in the church, and we're moved in our hearts to share with them, to love them the way the New Testament church loved each other. By sharing, they had nothing that they called their own. They held everything in common. We're on the lookout to take care of the people of God. Then we have people that we help. Maybe it's through Compassion International or World Vision, where we help Little children who don't have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear, we help them. It's awesome the things that are ours to do. Maybe you support someone on Christian radio, David Jeremiah or Charles Stanley or John MacArthur or whatever. That's offerings. And I guarantee you, every one of those men would say to you, and you hear it when they make an appeal for money, they say, give to your local church first. And if you don't have anything left over, give to your local church according to the tithe. That's what they say. That's where it should go. This sounds very self-serving. I have a clear conscience about what I'm talking to you about today. Totally clear. This is the Word of God. It's not about what I think. It's what God says clearly in His Word. So we cheat ourselves. We cheat ourselves of blessings. Look at verse 9. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. The question would be, how are they cursed with a curse? Well, look at verse 11. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it may not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will you vine, your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. There was this infestation of insects. We don't know exactly what kind. Perhaps locusts who just ate all the crops up. Well, in the book of Haggai, which we read from earlier today, was written at the same time, practically speaking, as this book. You notice what Haggai said to the people of Judah, the same people. You live in your paneled houses while the house of God is in disrepair. And you wonder why you don't ever have enough to eat. You don't have enough to drink. You don't have enough clothes to keep warm. And you have a money bag. And when you put money in it, it is as if it has holes in it. It's all going through. It's going through. It's going through. I heard Charles Stanley say this one time. And I agree with him. He said, you can tithe your way out of debt. Now, that sounds crazy. Some of you could say, yes, I agree with that. That happened to me. And we just need to understand that the curse has to do with pressure that God puts on us with regard to our mismanagement of His money. It's true. Well, we deprive ourselves of spiritual blessings. We know that we've received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. There's no blessing that Jesus does not have that we do not have. It's awesome to think about it. Read the book of Ephesians carefully and look at all the blessings which are yours and mine if we are in Christ. Incredible, the blessings which are ours. Awesome. But we also deprive ourselves of seeing people come to Christ through our ministry. Look at verse 12, our ministry of giving. Look at verse 12. And all the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Do you know... These are Jews, and the nations were Gentiles like us. Do you call the Jewish nation blessed? I do. 
I thank God for Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and Solomon and Moses and Haggai and Malachi and all the people. I thank God for them. I am blessed because of what came through their line. Jesus came. We're so happy. But the good news is we can be a part of bringing people into the kingdom of God if we obey God here. Praise the Lord for that. Well, we cheat ourselves out of material blessings too. I believe this is what the text teaches. Look again at verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And some people say, what does that mean, Mike? Well, it means the whole tithe. Ten percent. Some people say, do you want... Lord, does the Lord want me to tie the gross of mankind or the net? And I think it's the gross. Have a little faith. Step out and believe God. And watch what He does in response. And here He says, And test me now in this. This is the only time in the entire Bible that God asks anyone to test Him. He's testing us quite a bit. But He says, Test me in this. Wow. God's really throwing... Down the gauntlet, isn't he? He's challenging us. Are we going to believe him and obey him? Or are we going to cheat him and us? We're cheating ourselves because look what he says. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Now, there are people qualified here in this room more than I am probably to share their personal stories of how God has blessed them because they have been obedient to God with regard to the material possessions that God has blessed them with. But allow me to share just a few. This has been so healing for me in a lot of ways to go back over and just to isolate a few instances in my life. I'm going to go back to my early married life. I had been married for one year. I had since God was telling me if I were going to be fully obedient to Him, I was to forsake my dream of becoming a lawyer and a politician to follow Him as a pastor. And I gladly, after I finally surrendered to Him in that area, I, I was just relieved immensely. And as it turned out, the man who was the pastor at my local church, he had only been there probably a year. I barely knew him. The church was large. Over a thousand people would come every Sunday. And I didn't know he knew me, but he approached me. And he said, and this was the Lord, he said, I would like to offer you the opportunity to work with me for the summer before you go to seminary. And I said, I would like that. And he said, you're going to receive $400. It's not much, I know, he said, but that will be your salary. I said, no problem. I was just delighted for the opportunity to get some experience and get paid for it, serving the Lord, you know. And so that summer progressed, and Sally was looking for a job in Fort Worth, where we were going to seminary. She'd applied to several places. We made a trip to interview there in the Metroplex. Nobody offered her a job. And we were coming back and a little downheartened, wondering what God was doing. And it didn't seem like He was doing anything. We got back to Memphis, and then our pastor said, Mike... I've been praying. I think the Lord would have you stay with us another year. Would you be open to that? I said, yes. I've been thinking about that. I've wondered about that myself. So we had $400 a month. 
We've been living on savings that I had saved up for three years in anticipation of marriage because I was only working about 20 hours a week going to school full time and had a little ministry on the side with Young Life. And so I'd, I was hoping, you know, we get a job, Sally's got her education, she gets a job, and for the years we'll be in seminary, we'll rely primarily on her income for us to wait, make it through those months and years. But nothing happened. So $400 and no job for her. She'd applied to Memphis schools. I thought and she did too. She'd get a job because she was an excellent student at Memphis State and a terrific teacher. But nothing happened. So we did what every red-blooded American couple would do in that situation. We took a vacation. It was awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. It was a great vacation. I remember details of it. We went to Jekyll Island, Georgia, St. Simons Island. We went to Orlando to Disney World. We went to Atlanta. It was awesome. It was a great vacation. We went with our Christian friends, too. We took a bus load from our church, like, like our bus. A bunch of couples, probably 20, 30 couples went. We had a great time. And we came back, and you can imagine our joy when the, we opened the mail, and Sally had a, a contract to teach for the Memphis City Schools. $700 a month. Whoa. 400 700 That's 1100 That's rich for a young couple who was depending on the Lord with the 400 And then I got a $50 a month raise. Awesome. $450. I was knocking the ball out of the park with $450 a month. So that's that chapter. Let's go quickly to the next phase. So that year ended. Still no offer for a job in Fort Worth. And therefore... We did what you would do. It's very logical. When you don't have a job, you get in your car, you pack up your goods, and you go where the Lord's telling you to go. And we did. We rented an apartment. We had enough money to kind of jumpstart our stay there. I was going to get a job. She would look for a job. We went to a church the first day. We went to two different churches. We were looking for the place we believed the Lord would have us to plan our lives while in seminary. And we went to the Polytechnic Baptist Church on the east side of Fort Worth. Afterwards, there was a fellowship. There was a couple there. The last name was Ship. Mr. Ship took an interest in us, as did his wife. We were talking afterwards. And he turned to Sally and he said, What do you plan to do while Mike is in seminary? And she says, Well, I'm trained to be a teacher. I've had a year's experience. I've applied many places here without any success. And then he said, I am an associate superintendent in the Fort Worth Independent School District. And what is your area? She said, early childhood. He said, that's my area that I oversee. Now, I'll tell you, there are no openings that I'm aware of. As of Friday, no openings. But would you be willing to ride on the bus? They were busing. And would you be willing to be a monitor on the bus? She said, yes, I would. We didn't have a phone then. There were no cell phones. At least if there were, I didn't know anything about them and still don't, quite frankly. But, but we went to some other seminary students who were from our church. There were about five or six couples of us who went to seminary at the same time. It was terrific. Married couples. And we went over to their house, the Hilliards. We went over to their house and just sat there and waited for a call from Mr. Ship. J.D. Ship called. And he said, I've got good news for you. There is an opening now for a kindergarten teacher at Sunrise Elementary. And so my wife got a job. Boom! Just like that. So she was employed. And the Lord blessed us in that way. And I'm tracing this all the way back 
to this lesson. If we will do what God says to do regarding our finances. I didn't make much money. When I was making $400 a month, tithing $40, what difference did that make to the overall mission of that church? It made very little on the surface of things. But God's not interested in how much you can tithe. 10%, whatever it is. When I got my first job at the age of 16, I made a dollar and a quarter an hour, made $50 a week. I was so excited that I could take that $5 and get it in the plate on Sunday morning. I was giddy to give it. And it doesn't matter how little you make. You may be a minimum wage person. Don't wait until you make a bunch of money because the more money you make, the longer you wait to obey the Lord, the more likely you're not going to do it. You're going to tip God and not give what God tells you to do. And you're going to cheat yourself in the process of doing that. Well, the next phase is our first church here. And uh, this is maybe my favorite story of all. And it had to do with our singles group. We had just formed a singles group. It was growing. They wanted to take a missions trip to Chihuahua City. I was all behind it. They had one car they could use. They could not find anyone to loan them another car to take it into the interior of Mexico. And I had two cars, two VW Bugs. And I said to myself, and I think it was Lord saying, hey, buddy, step up. I said, Lord, but you know that my car needs brakes. And Lord, you know that I only have $128 in my checking account and $43 in my savings account. And I've got mouths to feed. I've got two babies. And the Lord kept nagging at me. I said, okay, Lord. I got the brakes fixed, $125. We saw this group off on probably a Friday night before Labor Day. It was Labor Day weekend. They left, and I was relieved that I had obeyed the Lord. We had, so this doesn't sound too heroic, I got paid once a month, the first of the month, and I would go and buy groceries. We had a freezer. We put Food in the freezer, in the fridge. So our kids were not going to go hungry, nor were we. So don't think this is so great a step of faith. It was a step of faith. But then, do you ever have giver's remorse? Has anybody had giver's remorse? <laughs> I've had it before. Not lately, but I've had it. And I had it here. I was beginning to doubt. On Labor Day, I was off. I'm reading as I ordinarily would do at that time through the Bible. I was in Obadiah, the shortest book in the Old Testament. And... Part of one verse says this, As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. And how it impressed me, I said, I need to make a habit of sowing to the Spirit and doing good rather than sowing to the flesh and doing evil. This has become a reality in my life today. The mission group to Chihuahua City gave me, and I did this as a secondary to that first statement, $50 for the use of my car, from their expenses, they had money left over, and they generously gave me fifty dollars. So, one twenty-five. All right, fifty of it had come back. I was happy about that. The next day, I went to the mailbox. No mail on Labor Day, obviously. Went to the mailbox and I took a letter out from a friend. Today, Obadiah fifteen was further substantiated in my life as I received seventy-five dollars from John Preston for our hospitality to him recently. Of the $128 I spent on the VW, $125 has come back to me and Sally. Praise the Lord. 
We only had $1.80 left in the checking account and 43 in the savings. But the 125 we received has solved our many money needs. My God has and will continue to supply all my needs according to His unlimited riches in Christ Jesus. That was in 1981. What's today? 2017? 36 years later? My testimony? Seamless in this area. God has continued to supply all my needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. One more personal story. I could tell many. The next church, the next chapter. I'm not even given to the chapter of this church. This church has been a great, great source of God's provision for me and my family. But in the next church, we had growing children. The income was rather meager for the area in which we lived especially. And I needed to pay my tax bill. Pastors are considered self-employed by the IRS. So quarterly I'd pay my taxes. And I didn't have the money. I was not going to ask my dad. I was not going to ask my father-in-law. I was not going to ask anybody. I was not going to ask the church for sure. But I was crying out to the Lord. I said, Lord, you're my father. You say, seek first your kingdom, your righteousness, and all these other things will be added to me, Lord. As I understand it, I've been seeking you first, putting you where you belong in my life. Would you please come through, Lord? Shortly thereafter, a lady in our church who worked in the nursery, she was in her mid to late 70s. Her name was Marie McHugh. And Marie was a woman who was closely in touch with the Lord. I cried out to the Lord, and the Lord spoke to Marie. She lived in a modest apartment, and she came to me and she said, Mike, the Lord has told me to give you this. And she handed me an envelope. And I was humbled that this widow would do that. I didn't know what was in there. If it's $10, I was humbled that she would think enough to share out of her resources. When I opened that envelope, you could have knocked me over with a feather. There was a $10,000 check in that. I was able to pay my taxes. And God knew, the Bible tells us He's Jehovah Jireh. We typically interpret that as our provider. It does not really mean that. It means the Lord sees And so, when he's given me extra money throughout my adult life, it's always been in anticipation of something I would need later. And before long, expenses cropped up for us that I had no idea would come. And the Lord had already provided in advance for us. Because we had had a history of obeying the Lord in this area. I might add, my wife was never negative about it. Never once. She was 100% on board. She was raised in a Christian family which had learned this principle too. And it had been transferred to her from her father and her mother. Last story, not about me. This is a great story. It's about a man named James Milby. He grew up very poor in Springfield, Illinois. He had retired in 1981 from a bang-up business life. He had been the CEO of one of the larger insurance companies in the United States, and he was a follower of Jesus. He had supported a man by the name of R.T. Kendall. I have many of Mr. Kendall's books in my library. And he had supported him when he went to Oxford University to earn his Ph.D. or Ph.D. in theology. And after he and his wife had sent Brother Kendall to school, 
Kendall was invited by Mr. Milby to go fishing with him in Florida. He came to Mr. Kendall and he said, Sir, would you mind telling me the secret of your success as a businessman? Without hesitation, he said, The answer to that question is very simple. Many years ago, I entered into a contract with God, claiming His promise when He said, Them who honor me, I will honor. And I began to tithe. I trusted God. I didn't have enough money to start, but I began anyway. And the result is what you see in my life. Everything I have, the Lord has empowered me to make. And I am a steward of all that He has given me. Now, you may not have that happen to you. You may not become big time successful if you start doing this and you haven't. But what I tell you, you will know. You will know the peace of God. And you will know God like you have yet to know Him because He will be involved in your life in a way that He will not be involved any other way. Because we see tangible results, undeniable results of God's involvement. And behind the involvement is His interest in us as His children. Becky, I could ask her, would you play something appropriate at this moment? Relax. Because I'm going to ask everybody in the room to stand up who is committed to tithing. Now, I'm not going to ask anybody to do that, so relax. I knew there'd be a mass exodus. This place would empty out just like that. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to know what you give. I don't know whether you, I want to know whether you tithe or not. That's between you and the Lord. Nobody here knows that except people who don't care. You know, people who count the money and give you your statements, your giving statements. So uh, that's beside the point. Well, this actually happened in a church. And the pastor was preaching on this subject of tithing. And he told his very astute pianist, he said, you pick something out that will be conducive to people making that commitment at the end of the service. I'll give you the nod. And so this gal was on the ball. And when the time came to start playing, he turned and he nodded to her. And she started playing the Star Spangled Banner. It was awesome. Well, we're not going to do anything like that. We're not interested in pressuring you. Because the Lord loves a cheerful giver, right? And here's what happens. If you will give the way God tells you to give, you'll be cheerful when you give. You will be cheerful. Sometimes He'll bring you right up to the edge of your income. And those times can be stressful. I'm talking about in your giving. Those times can indeed be stressful. But they can be awesome and they do turn out that way. I've told you stories of how that's happened in my own life. I could tell you equally more and more and more of how that's happened. The good news is the Lord has chosen you and me to be managers of His resources. And He wants us to obey Him with those resources. And you young people especially. I'm so happy we have so many young people. Start doing what the Word of God says about money now. Don't wait. Do it now. Build that habit in your life because it gets harder to commit to that later. But there are many adults here today. Maybe you're as old as I am or older. And you know that the Lord's spoken to you today. May God give you the grace to obey the Lord and not to be afraid. Let's pray. Thank You, Lord, for Your Word. Thank You for the instruction You give us by Your Spirit through Your Word. And so, Lord, we pray that You would touch every heart that You intend to and move us all to be more faithful to You 
Not to rob you, but to bless you. And not to cheat ourselves either, Lord. Thank you for letting us in on the blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Amen.